0: It is Wednesday, August 16th, 2023, this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, a network of free-to-use fridges in Fayetteville, and the spark of an idea that inspired it.
1: I was reading Bon Appetit at home one afternoon, and I saw a friendly fridge-type system had been created in New York, and it had spread through all the boroughs, and I thought, oh my gosh, like, that would be amazing here. That could help so many people.
2: Plus, running as a way to convey discussions about inclusion and sustainability.
3: Hey, we both love clean air, clean water, available sidewalks and trails. Let's start with what we have in common, and then can I challenge you to maybe take a broader perspective?
0: And keeping the tension high on stage for Dial M for Murder.
4: Take that pause out, take that pause out, continue with language, no air here. You know, just trying to keep the pressure on.
2: First the Hours News from NPR.
5: Rave Cultural Foundation presents their Fall Master Concert featuring the world-renowned musicians of the Divine Trio in the Great Hall at Crystal Bridges, Saturday, October 1st, 4 to 5.30 p.m. Tickets and information at ra-veculturalfoundation.org slash events. Historic Cane Hill presents the Cane Hill Harvest Festival, Saturday, September 16th, just 20 miles south of Fayetteville. This day of community traditions and family activities kicks off with an Ozark Country Breakfast and features live music, crafts, and demonstrations. Guests can also enjoy the Arts and Eats Market, Kids Zone, and more. Full schedule and tickets at historiccanehillar.org.
2: This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, August sixteenth, twenty 2023, and this is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported
0: service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us today. In our second half hour, Theater Squared starts their new season with a thriller. We'll learn more about the intricacies of keeping the tension high as a plan for murder unfolds on stage. A preview of Dial M for Murder later in the show.
2: First, the COVID-19 pandemic forced a lot of community service providers to think outside the box. For the community members who distribute the free food and meals for their neighbors, it meant taking the box outside. Matthew
0: explains. Just outside the specialty care entrance... The VA hospital campus in Fayetteville stands four containers. One is a sturdy outdoor shed with two doors about three feet wide and six feet tall with the words food pantry, in big letters at the top. Next to it are two smaller receptacles about the size of a filing cabinet. One is labeled as a drop off for canned foods and the other for non canned foods. But the most striking container is a hefty stainless steel refrigerator labeled Friendly Fridge.
1: This was cool yesterday.
0: (laughs) Alyssa Snyder and Margaret Thomas are the founders at Seeds That Feed. Alyssa says the organization helps manage the Friendly Fridge at the VA, primarily through relationships with local farmers.
6: Working to get excess, so things that they don't sell maybe at a farmer's market or to a retailer, um, and get that surplus out through the community um, into places Uh, especially where maybe people can't get out um, or, you know, maybe uh, aren't going to be frequenting a pantry. Um, So, yeah, just working that food out through the community, neighborhoods, um, senior areas uh, predominantly, um, you know, senior housing, things like that. And then now, yeah, um, through the friendly fridge system.
0: She says during COVID-19, their food recovery work shifted focus they began getting calls to recover food from walk-in fridges at restaurants who weren't going to be able to use it before it expired. They'd heard about this new project at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Fayetteville.
6: And we're like, oh, this is a perfect spot to drop off. My name is Caitlin Rush,
1: and I helped jumpstart the Friendly Fridge project at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in
0: Fayetteville. Back in 2020, Caitlin was the parish chef. St. Paul's, where she managed and helped cook food for the community meals. She knew the community still depended on those meals and was trying to figure out a solution to keep feeding people.
1: I was reading Bon Appetit at home one afternoon and I saw a friendly fridge type system had been created in New York and it had spread through all the boroughs. And I thought, oh my gosh, like that would be amazing here. That could help so many people. You know, we could start it at St. Paul's and then maybe it could grow. And I had an annual review with my boss and he he said, okay, you know, give me goals for the next year. If you could do anything, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do this. I want to start this friendly fridge thing that I've been reading about. And he said, okay, great. What do you need? And I said, actually nothing because I, I had an extra refrigerator in my house at the time. I'd been doing some meal delivery service to help people during COVID as well. And I just thought, you know what? I don't really need that. I'll donate my own. And he said, okay, great. What do you
0: need? And I said, I just need somebody to help me move it. Let's, let's if, if we can, let's go take a look at the fridge. Is that sure. okay? Yeah. The parish chef at St. Paul's <laughs> now is Grace Clegghorn.
7: Ooh, I got some boxes I need to take care of.
0: When we go out to visit the friendly fridge, there are two heavily dented cans of green beans on top of it.
7: In all her glory. Take those and throw them away. They're dented. Can't keep them. Oh, really? Botulism. Oh,
0: right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, my
7: gosh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Farmer's Market and St. James. That's what they do.
0: So we've got...
7: Uh... I'm pretty sure that this is some sandwiches and meat. I can tell you for sure. Hey, there. Hey. Robbie. about to get right out of your way. It is sandwiches. Sandwiches
0: and vegetables. When she first started, Grace says she did a lot of the cooking and on days when she wasn't, she would plan out the recipes for the volunteers to come in and cook. These days, Grace still does plenty of cooking, but most of her time is spent restocking the kitchen and giving space for volunteers who love making food for their community using their own recipes.
7: It feels so good to cook good food for people. And when you feel like you have that gift, then you want to do it how you want to do it. And you don't want somebody to tell you what to do, right? And that's really just what I learned is these women know what they're doing. And I know how to cook too, but that doesn't mean that I should be telling them exactly, you know, how they should do it. I know the feeling that I get when I can just cook something that I want to do and people like it. Uh, and then I get to take credit for it. And that's your little moment. That's your little moment of glory. And the women that, that, that cook those meals on Mondays and Wednesday, they don't really take credit for it, but they know it was good.
0: When it comes to the friendly fridge, Grace says St. Paul's has one job.
7: To keep that refrigerator running. The initial refrigerator broke and by down. by running,
0: you mean literally like plugged in and keeping things
7: cold? hmm correct. So the original refrigerator had a mural painted on. It was really cool. It died.
0: Grace went to Lowe's to buy a new one, and when the store found out what they'd be using it for, they offered it at a discounted price and even delivered it in the middle of the ice storm of December 2021. The fridge still sits out there today. Grace says they initially thought about keeping a camera out there.
7: Because we just wanted to see hands. We didn't want to see faces. Just a camera to point down because we thought it would be neat to see the amount of people that use it a day. But then we thought, you know what, that's infringing on people, and this is not about... This is not about casting any judgment about the people that come and use this refrigerator. Our job is to feed, and we don't care who comes and picks it up.
0: Trinity United Methodist Church also works hard to feed their Fayetteville neighbors. And they use that word neighbors a lot. Beth Leverett is a member of the church and volunteers her time stocking their food pantry and preparing for Sunday meals.
3: And I believe that I have two spiritual gifts, and those are hospitality and organization. So this food ministry perfectly fits the gifts that I have. It was just natural for me. The first time I heard about the food bank was that they needed volunteers to do the food pickup on Monday. So I signed up
0: for that few days a week, Beth drives to local Walmart neighborhood markets who have food they can no longer sell but are still safe to eat. She uses that to stock their food pantry. Reverend Terry Gosnell says he first heard about the idea of a friendly fridge from St. Paul's. told us about it because they partner with us for Sunday supper. And, and so somebody, I think I was on vacation, uh, called me from, from St. Paul. And wanted to give us a refrigerator and so that's how it happened because they knew that we were a church that fed folks and wanted people to have accessibility 24 hours a day when we went to visit the fridge that day it yeah. was pretty barren well oh well, we have some tortillas
3: we always <laughs> get a lot of tortillas so i think some of them end up out here after food pantry yeah right now it doesn't have anything but a lot of times it does yeah
0: that might sound concerning but All of the different fridge managers I spoke to say the same thing. The fridge could be full, but come back in 30 minutes and it'll almost certainly be empty. That was the case at the friendly fridge at the VA as well. Margaret Thomas and Alyssa Snyder of Seeds That Feed have been working on ways to help patrons know when there's food in the fridge and have implemented an anonymous text service. Here's Alyssa.
6: You know, putting up a flyer that says you can you can opt in to this if you if you choose, um, and if you do, you know you'll get an alert every time that we drop off, and we just say, "Hey, we just dropped off cucumbers, tomatoes, and here it is." You know, and um, it's been cool. A lot of people are texting back. Someone just texts back um, last night, um, "Thank you," and Cherokee. We're hoping, like over time that we can, you know, create a little bit more um, two-way communication for anyone who chooses. But it's, it really is 100% anonymous and autonomous.
0: Through some funding from the Walmart Foundation, Seeds That Feed has started thinking about taking the friendly fridge concept out of Fayetteville and into other towns in the region. They funded two last year and are going to be putting in an additional seven fridges in the next 18 months. Including one at George Elementary in Springdale.
6: So that'll be right outside their school. So it'll help the the kids, the families, and then there's um, uh, neighborhoods just surrounding there that we'll be working to get the word out through there too. So hopefully that one will be used by a whole bunch of different people too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you started this deep in the midst of COVID, did you did you ever think that you know that Walmart Foundation would be Giving money to people to continue this project even further outside of you know your piddly little fridge that you and probably a rector brought to St. Paul's.
4: Uh,
1: there was always a glimmer. Like I, I hope that, that could be true, but you know it was one of those things that I didn't want. I didn't want to turn it into something that it wasn't. I just wanted it to organically grow and be useful to those around it. I'm amazed and I'm super happy. Like that funding made a difference for so many people. And that's that's just truly exciting.
0: I asked Margaret and Alyssa what they would say to Caitlin, whose spark of an idea turned into an investment from the world's largest retailer.
6: Yeah. Um, yeah, just like yay for reading an article and then jumping forward and doing it. That's what it's all about. That's how it starts and then that's how things get bigger and And
1: she may have thought it was something seemingly small that she could do easily but it has created a pathway for a lot of people to have food and I think that
0: the community as a whole is very thankful for that. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore.
2: An Arkansas 211 program, headquartered at United Way Northwest Arkansas to bring more food to low income households, is getting a financial boost. Ride United Last Mile Delivery is a partnership between United Way, Arkansas 211, and DoorDash that gets healthy food and other essential supplies delivered at no additional cost. The Walmart Foundation yesterday announced a $100,000 grant for the program. Arkansas 211 piloted the program through June 2023 arranging for DoorDash drivers to, live, to deliver over 3,700 food boxes to food-insecure
0: families. Local nonprofits collaborating on the pilot include the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, Northwest Arkansas Food Bank, St. James Missionary Baptist Church, and Care Community Center. The Walmart Foundation grant provides funding to expand the program to over 12,000 last-mile home deliveries through 2024.
8: Do you like daily word puzzles that feature color-based hints? If you do, you're in luck. Introducing the KUAF Newsword, a daily word puzzle that tests your Ozarks at large listening skills. Just go to KUAF's website or newsword.org slash KUAF to start puzzling. Happy
4: thinking.
2: Still to come on today's show, running Fayetteville native Zoe Rome, now a Colorado resident, Is a writer and editor with Outside. She's written the new book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner: A Guide to Running for Life, Community,
3: and Planet. Oftentimes we hear like running is so inclusive, all you need is a pair of shoes, and that's just not true. You also need a place to run where you feel safe, where the air is clean, where you have infrastructure that facilitates like bodily safety, where You don't feel that you might be a victim of gender-based violence or of people discriminating based on how you perform your gender or sexuality.
2: Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth talks with Zoe Rome in just a few minutes on today's Ozarks at Large.
8: Hey, this is Rafe Box, owner of Holy Amble Recording Co. and the creator of the Amble Sessions. The first ever Amble Fest is just around the corner, happening August 18th and 19th at Cash Studios. It brings 10 local musicians to Bentonville for a free Today all-ages fest featuring the flims ashton barbary tv preacher jess harp and more artists featured on the Amble sessions my web series of live performances recorded at holy Amble recording co and available to view on youtube npr.org and kuaf.com for more info about anvil fest and the anvil sessions head over to kuaf.com slash anvil sessions
0: Officials from Arkansas and Oklahoma presented plans for water quality models for the Illinois River Watershed at a stakeholders meeting recently. The models are meant to copy reality and show where specific conservation practices are needed in the watershed. Greg Clarkson, director of Oklahoma Conservation Commission's Soil Health Program, says the models are not perfect.
9: What you're going to see presented today, and I'm going to say this multiple times, is not the end-all be-all emulation of reality, but it is a tool that helps us, in the best possible frame, uh, model what might be possible in reality.
0: Data from the models will be used to design an updated water implementation plan to improve water quality. Issues in the watershed include impairments like phosphorus and soil bank erosion, Officials from Arkansas contracted with the engineering firm FTN Associates, and Oklahoma officials worked with Texas A&M to develop the plan.
2: Five nonprofit organizations in the River Valley will receive grants from Arkansas, Oklahoma Gas. Each nonprofit will receive a $4,000 grant this year, as well as in each of the next two years. The grants are being awarded to the Fort Smith Boys and Girls Clubs, the Donald Reynolds Cancer Support House, Stepping Stone for Exceptional Children, South Sebastian County Boys and Girls Clubs, and Arkansas Colleges of Health Education Research Institute Health and Wellness Center. A pair of faculty members at the University of Arkansas are receiving grants connected to their work. Joshua Smith, an associate professor of English, will be the project leader for a national endowment for the humanities grant translating the works of Jeffrey of Monmouth. Jeffrey, born in the late, 8th, uh, late 11th century, is credited with popularizing the tales of King Arthur. Meanwhile, Jacob Herzog, an assistant professor of music, is receiving a residency grant from the South Arts Organization. He'll use that grant to record an album of original music with a large ensemble orchestra.
0: The group bringing professional soccer to Northwest Arkansas is hiring its first full-time employee. And no, it's not Daniel (laughs) Caruso. USL Arkansas announced yesterday Wes Harris will be the managing director of the organization. Harris has lived in the region for 12 years and a press release from USL Arkansas says he has 15 years of leadership experience in the consumer goods industry and consulting roles at firms like Johnson & Johnson.
2: The city of Rogers opened Mount Hebron Park last week and inside the space is the largest accessible playground in the state. The park's playground equipment and splash pad are designed for people of all abilities and is in the rapidly growing southwest side
0: of Rogers. Peter Massinis, public relations manager for the city of Rogers, says Mount Hebron is one of a handful of parks projects, part of a bond measure voters passed in 2018. You know, we obviously saw great stuff down in downtown
8: as well with the renovation of the park down there and what we see there with Rail Yard Park. And-
0: Mount Hebron covers about 80 acres and includes a baseball field, pond, tennis courts, dog parks, trails and basketball courts. This is Ozarks at Large. Zoe Rome is a writer and editor for Outside, focused on trail running and the environment. And though she's based in Colorado, Rome got her start running the trails of the Ozarks in her hometown of Fayetteville. Now, she is co-author of the new book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner, a guide to running for life, community, and planet. She recently spoke with Ozarks at Large's Deanna Carruth over the phone.
3: And just really wanted to kind of write a no-nonsense guide for athletes on how they can get involved in climate and kind of like make the case that personal health connection with community is intrinsically and necessarily tied to climate action. And that, you know, there's no real point in only trying to self-optimize your own health if you're not also engaged in sort of community care and planet care as well.
8: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, there's so many books I feel like out there that are about running, uh, but not that many that that I feel like are on this topic specifically or, or about, you know, collective action and about sustainability, Was there a moment that forced you to think, okay, I want to write about this. I want this to be the topic.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I've always been kind of frustrated by the ways that I've been pigeonholed into needing to cover it really explicitly Mm. through the framework of running, meaning like looking for ways that feel relevant to the sport, but don't actually have like a super helpful impact, like being told to buy shoes that have like some amount of recycled sort of like content in them or recycle gel wrappers or you know, like these sort of just like really narrow solutions that don't have the impact that we really need. (laughs) I really wanted to sort of broaden the framework, but use running as that entry point for people say like, Hey, we both love clean air, clean water, available sidewalks and trails let's start with what we have in common. And then can I challenge you to maybe take a broader perspective and push you towards collective and political action that will have broader impacts than just recycling you know, your, your gel wrappers after a marathon?
8: And can I ask, so how did you kind of get involved in running? How, was, how did that become something that you became interested or passionate about?
3: yeah i mean partially you know growing up in fayetteville track capital of the world going to razorback track meets right like and growing up kind of like in the backyard of one of the most win or of the most winning cross country team of all time and i think i started really running more seriously in in college when i was working at a local running store Um, and started competing at trail and ultra marathons when I lived in Fayetteville just because we had kind of like a burgeoning ultra running scene and I got really really into that and so I think that you know it just (laughs) it went from there and I started running 50ks then 50 milers and now I kind of specialize in the 50 mile to 100 mile sort of discipline.
8: Yeah well in having done that for so long. How has your relationship to the environment and to sustainability kind of evolved as you've gotten more into running? You've hit these other milestones.
3: Last year, I was actually diagnosed with asthma for the first time. And that has kind of made me even more acutely aware of living in Colorado, sort of the Air quality concerns mm. that I never experienced growing up in Arkansas. Like, okay, yeah, this explains why my lungs get so irritated when it's when it's hazy out during wildfire season. Um, and I think that that was something that kind of like helped shift for me. It, it made the political personal <laughs> in a way that really hit home for mm-hmm. me. But I'll say another thing that's really really changed is that I used to. Be a much more like private runner. I ran primarily alone. I ran primarily for myself. And I think the biggest shift I've noticed in my own running career is trying to use running as a place of community building and as sort of a way to bring more people into a social justice and an environmental justice conversation that they haven't always seen themselves included in. I think, particularly like growing up in Arkansas, sport is a way that we connect with each other. It's a way that we build communities and that we communicate with each other. And I wanted to sort of use that framework to recenter the conversation and bring folks in who haven't always seen their needs taken seriously by the environmental movement.
8: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to talk about that. It's interesting the name of the book because it's about automatically you think sustainability and a sustainable environment and climate action but also about integrating running into your life and and being a lifelong runner and and making that part of your community. If you could talk just about how you go about making running, making these running groups more inclusive and more welcoming to people.
3: Yeah, I think something that, you know, I actually was just reading this sort of data set that was released just a couple weeks ago by the running industry diversity coalition where they surveyed thousands of trail runners and they found that trail runners who identified as white use the word inclusive to describe the trail running community Mm -hmm. a lot runners of color do not use that word and they found the community not inclusive and i think that is so so telling that like maybe as a white member of the community, our self-perception of this community doesn't align with other people's lived experiences. And we need to take really seriously those concerns and say like, okay, who am I leaving out when I picture this community? And who do I need to be more intentional in identifying like what barriers prevent folks from engaging in this space? And I think again, that this becomes kind of an area where I get frustrated with like leaving the conversation only at running. Oftentimes we hear, like, running is so inclusive, all you need is a pair of shoes, and that's just not true. You also need a place to run where you feel safe, where the air is clean, where you have infrastructure that facilitates, like, bodily safety, where... You don't feel that you might be a victim of gender based violence or of people discriminating based on how you perform your gender, sexuality, or what political contexts you're bringing to running. And I think that I'd be really, and I am buoyed to see so much more conversation in the running space that takes those concerns seriously and saying, like, if you're interested in building a truly inclusive running community, you have to really, really zoom out and identify what sort of like structural barriers are preventing people from participating in the sport. Because it's oftentimes not something as simple as, oh, well, I don't have access to a pair of trail shoes. It's usually something much, much deeper that's tied up in these sort of like policy level solutions.
8: Yeah. And when you were writing the book and sort of digging into some of these issues, were there any Policies or, or things that sort of struck you uh, took you by surprise and were like, oh, I never actually thought about that
3: yeah, I think a big one for me um not i 'm not a parent, but my co author Tina is a parent, mm-hmm. and there are so many ways that women in our world are forced to kind of bear the brunt of like familial labor. We actually like really dug into some of the data that was available going into the pandemic. And I would love to do more of this research looking at like post-pandemic sort of data. But even before the pandemic, women on average have four fewer hours per week to dedicate towards fitness and hobbies than men do. And four hours a week of running is like a pretty solid amount of time to exercise. Like that's a lot of time that you could dedicate towards training for a marathon a half marathon 10k 100 mile race whatever it is you want to do and in the trail running world we see a really big discrepancy in how many um, folks who identify as women sign up for trail races particularly longer events like the ones i'm passionate about versus men and it would appear to me that that four hours has to account for a significant percentage of that so we spent you know time interviewing moms about how they balance things and i think that again it kind of like hints at that our society is so much more comfortable like finding the ways that like women can life hack their ways to better balance (laughs) rather than going back and (laughs) assessing on a policy level where do our policies fail working parents um and i think that that was one that again just like as someone that has never performed the labor of parenthood myself seeing how other women problem solve around that on an individual level really inspired me to push for like a broader scale sort of solution for all all folks. And I think that one thing that does come out in the book is we really did try to focus on solutions over like just pointing out problems. So we interviewed a lot of athletes and activists who are doing the work and kind of like are implementing really novel solutions at the at the community level. And so I think that that is something that folks will really benefit from from reading the book is that it is like a really sort of optimistic, positive, and solutions-oriented sort of work.
8: Well, not to give away the book, but, you know, what are some of those solutions? Like, what are some action items that that people can take? You know, if they're daunted by some of these bigger issues, are there specific actions that someone could take right now to just be more conscious, more sustainable, a better runner?
3: Yeah, I think one of the, you know, like, sort of, like, mindset shifts I would love to see folks um take is to just re um sort of reassess their relationship with consumption. I think, you know, we're all inundated with advertising day in and day out pushing us to constantly to want more things, to buy more things, and we cannot c- continue to consume at the same rate we're consuming as a culture. Um, And we're all going to have to be comfortable reducing and reusing. And do you really need like another running shirt? Like can races and events like not, you know, just give you free samples that you're not going to use or like not, you know, hand you a T-shirt that you're never going to wear again. I don't want to like put too many additional things on folks plates, although I do make I do try to make the case for like political action and organization particularly on the local and regional level as being a really potent place for change um but also just like assessing sort of like how the running community interacts with consumption i think we have sort of a dysregulated relationship with like this capitalist inclination for quarterly growth and increasingly needing more and more and more and these like kind of hacky sort of like product appeals that you need to buy like a new There's, like, a new gimmick all the time, and I think we all need to get comfortable simply having less, buying less, reusing more, sharing things. And I think that that can actually really bring us closer to our communities, too. Like, rather than just, you know, hitting the buy now button on Amazon, like, getting on a Facebook group and seeing, like, what's available in your community. Like, what can you swap with other people? How can you extend sort of the life cycle of everything you have now, and then approach any sort of novel consumption with a lot more skepticism.
8: What do you think it is about running that? I don't know that so many people when you spoke to them said that it was such an important part of their life. It's something that you you write about daily, I I imagine. Um, You know, what is it about this sport hobby, whatever you want to call it, that, that people are so drawn to.
3: I do think that there is something about the simplicity of it. Right. And like in a world where mm-hmm. things feel so fast all the time, or at least like for me, I'll notice that I feel distracted and I feel, feel pulled in a million places. I feel like my time is not always my own. I feel sometimes disconnected from my na- from the natural world around me or disconnected from my community. And running is a really powerful and simple tool to reconnect with yourself. You have to spend time with your own thoughts and with your breath and just like listening to the sound of your two feet on the pavement or on the gravel, on the trail. Um, You get to run shoulder to shoulder with people. Like there's actually studies that show we connect better with people and we're, you know, kind of having that space of not having to look someone directly in the eye sometimes we'll disclose things and we'll share things that we maybe mm-hmm. wouldn't share in another context and you can really build rich community through that level of like one-on-one person-to-person vulnerability and when you're running through the same landscapes day after day you really develop sort of an intimate connection with the natural world as
8: well and for you uh, after writing this book or during writing the book did you get sick of running? I mean, it's kind of the thing that you did you ever say, I'm going to hang it up?
3: (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely, you know, I think there is something that I, you know, this was a really amazing learning experience for me. And I hope that no one has to go back and read something they wrote when they were 26. But you know, I started the book when I was 26, um, almost four years ago now. And you know, I started by writing a couple chapters sort of about like, sustainability in terms of like, running career and how it fits into your life and i am not always the best taker of my own advice when it comes to that sort of thing (laughs) i'm very prone to burnout and i think it was kind of like a poignant reminder that you know it's it's all about like emphasizing the process over perfection for me um Mm -hmm. particularly when it comes to running and just like allowing myself to acknowledge feelings of like i just want to talk about anything besides running today and i think that in a really healthy way, like my interest and passion for environmental stewardship and running sort of feed into each other, and make each other more sustainable in the ways that they're in dialogue with each other. Like on the days that I'm so bored of talking about aerobic base building and VO2 max development, I can really lean into you know my my the climate action side of my work.
8: Well, as uh, an Arkansan, I was wondering what. For people who live here and maybe are are new to running, they want to try trail running more, what tips would you have for them? What places here would you say, you got to try this out, you got to go here, um, start with this?
3: Yeah, so I actually started running, started trail running at Mount Kessler, which back when it was like on, you know, some guy's private property, you had to like sign a book (laughs) saying you wouldn't sue him if you fell down or hurt yourself. Northwest Arkansas right now is an incredible place to be if you're curious about trail running and running generally like you can train fairly well all year round and I think one of the things that's amazing about trail running is that it's so much more focused on how it feels in your body than pace. I think, you know, some folks don't feel seen in the road running community because they're like, I don't know if I can run a full marathon. I don't know if that sounds fun to me. And trail running is an amazing place to sort of come into the sport because it's so much more based on like this, like on experience than like, output and outcomes so if you're someone who like doesn't really see themselves as being competitive and you just want to like have fun and move your body outside trail running is an amazing place to start you do not have to be a super gifted athlete i certainly wasn't when i started i came in as a hiker and just got curious about slowly speeding up my hiking and i think that yeah again like northwest arkansas is just an amazing place to sort of get in touch with that side of the sport the trail systems there are world-class there's you know you can you can bike to the trailhead you, you like the infrastructure that exists to support trail running and running generally in, in Fayetteville and Bentonville and you know the sort of adjacent areas is just is next level so I would just yeah I would just you know next time you're out on a hike or walking with your dog take a couple you know take a couple speedier steps see how it feels uh lean into the uphills float the downhills and just have fun with it
8: well, so Zoe, can you tell me just a little bit about, you know, when the book will be out and maybe how people can, can get their hands on that?
3: Yeah. So the book comes out on August 18th and you can get it wherever wherever books are sold.
8: Awesome. And will you guys be here at any point to do any press? Or are you
3: Actually, you I am just... hoping to <laughs> take a Northwest Arkansas leg of the book tour. I don't have anything for sure yet, but the trail running community in Northwest Arkansas means so mm-hmm. much to me that i definitely looking for like a couple different venues to make that make that happen and also because around November in Colorado our trails shut down and that's right when things Mm -hmm. get awesome out in Arkansas.
2: That was journalist Zoe Rome discussing her new book with co-author Tina Muir Becoming a Sustainable Runner a guide to running for life community and planet. The book is available in stores and online Friday. Zoe is also a former intern at KUAF. Daniel Carruth produces his work for Ozarks at Large inside the Karen Taha News Studio.
4: And we're back with another concert for the Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series, sponsored by McDonald's. This concert is happening August 18th at 8311 Rogers Avenue, this Friday at 8311 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith, Arkansas, from noon to 2 p.m., Featuring the amazing artist and fashion designer, Tylo May, You don't want to miss this. Get your tickets now at KUAF.com slash summer concerts. Again, KUAF.com slash summer concerts. We'll see you there.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellens. Matthew, we're halfway
2: through August, and the last couple of days of cooler temperatures may
4: probably
2: have made people think about autumn
0: yeah yeah i think uh, my, my wife was describing this as as fake fall mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a couple of days of really nice weather you start to get used to it and then all of a sudden you're smacked in the face with 100 degree right. weather soon Photom. Photom. i like that
2: i just made it up <laughs> <laughs> uh Now, before we get out of August, there are several things to be aware of around the region. Bentonville Film Festival is teaming with Ozark Beer Company and Rogers and 37 North Expeditions. They're going to screen a pair of adventure short documentaries that were screened earlier this year in the Bentonville Film Festival. First will be After You're Gone. It's about a female fishing guide in upper state New York overcoming the hardships of battling cancer and losing her husband. That will be followed by the short Well-Worn Life about the people behind an outdoors-themed company, the movies will start at 7 at Ozark Beer Company in downtown Rogers. That's the 24th. More information at 37northexpeditions.com.
0: On Saturday, several cycling organizations in northwest Arkansas will put together Palooza. That's a fun word. It is. It begins in downtown Springdale and will include opportunities to go on guided road rides, trail rides, and... My, and Mountain biking. Designed for cyclists of all levels, all proceeds are directed to Pedal It Forward, a nonprofit that collects used or damaged bikes and spruces them up to give to area children for free. More info at NWA Bike Apalooza on Facebook.
2: Also Saturday, no, this is Saturday, August 26th, so a week from Saturday, the Pea Ridge National Military Park will host Raise the Banner, Raise it High, boys. It's a one-hour program that begins on 2 that afternoon in the Visitor Center Auditorium. It will explore the service and history of the first Michigan sharpshooters, Company K, during the Civil War. If you'd like to know more, go old school. Give them a call. 451-451. 8122.
0: Yeah, that's why they call them iPhones. You can still use them as phones. Exactly. Believe it or not. The Washington County Historical Society's annual ice cream social is this Saturday mm-hmm. from 3 to 6. There will be historic demonstrations, live music from Jump, Shoot, Jump Suit Jamie and the Can't Wait to Playboys, and obviously ice cream. Tickets are two fifty for children ages six to twelve, five dollars for adults, and fifteen dollars for the whole family. More information at washcohistoricalsociety.org or check Facebook.
2: And also Saturday, the Ozarks Bug Crawl is a team-based bug collection competition. I love this concept. (laughs) It's going to take place in the grounds and trails of Historic Cane Hill. It's a collaboration with the University of Arkansas Department of Entomology and Plant Pathology. This year's event is Saturday from 10 until 2. If you want to participate, visitors can form teams of two or more people. You'll be given all the necessary materials to enjoy the crawl. For more information, historiccanehillar.org. Peter Squared's new season begins this week with a nefarious plan. Dial M for Murder is best known as a 1954 Alfred Hitchcock thriller, but it began as a play. This new adaptation gives the script a contemporary lens, but remains solidly placed in the 1950s. Yesterday, the director of the T2 production, Melissa Rain Anderson, and Kieran Cronin, who is Captainless Gate, a pivotal player in the scheme, came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy news studio. Anderson, who has directed drama, Shakespeare, and musicals around the country, says bringing a thriller to live stage requires a meticulous approach from crew and cast.
4: The cast is probably, um, you know, a little (laughs) miffed at me now for continuing to say, take that pause out, take that pause out, continue with language, no air here, you know, just trying to keep the pressure on for uh, the act 1 and act 2 and just sail to that ending thrilling moment is it can be a matter of a second or two or three that really lets the air the steam out of a scene
2: wow that's as in, It sounds as intense for the creative team as it will be for those of us in the audience. It
4: is a little intense to keep ratcheting it in and dialing it in, if you will. Um, but that really is, I think, what helps on stage because we are so used to the film and TV genre. Um, on stage, it has to be a little bit more heightened. It's it is it does live in in a heightened place. Right. And if we're leading to violence, um, then we definitely have to keep the air out, keep the language forward and keep the energy moving to the ends of the lines and keeping the intrigue and the dread. You know, that's what I'm doing right now. We're um, heading into previews, but we still have a full day of rehearsal today. And so my sort of job today is tracking the dread when those dreadful moments sink in for us in the house,
2: Karen, what's it like making sure that we in the audience are going to have some dread?
9: Oh, it's so exciting! It's so fun because, like you said, it's you know, with a comedy or a musical or a romance, it's we get to do that all the time. Um, but to get to to create that suspense and feel that pressure cooker feeling in the theater, it's really exciting. It's really exciting.
2: I'm most familiar with the 1954 Hitchcock movie, mm-hmm. and in that your character has pressure coming from a lot of different places.
9: Yeah, yeah, and and it, it's still there. I mean, Jeffrey Hatcher has done a great job with this adaptation, um, and I think, for my character specifically, it gives him a little bit more agency, uh, gives him a little bit more—he's uh, a little bit smarter. He's a little mm-hmm. bit, like, b- thinks better on his feet, uh, less of just a blunt instrument. Um, so it—and it—, and it, it, it it adds to that pressure cooker, you know, and you can – like I mean, I'm really excited to feel the audience in those lean-in moments, you know, especially for people who have seen the movie, the, the instances that are different that, uh, that Hatcher has decided to turn the other way.
2: I imagine when the word dial is in the title, you have to commit to a mid-century setting. Absolutely, you can't update.
4: Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's
9: not like slide phone for murder. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, swipe, swipe for,
4: for murder. <laughs> exactly.
2: So we are still in the 1950s.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. Specifically in 1952, there was sort of a a discussion about you know exactly where we are in the timeline, but 52 is what where Hatcher put it. I think the original, the film came out in what what 53, 54. 54.
2: But the the, the first.
4: Play. So Frederick Knott wrote the original onstage play, um, which premiered, I believe, in '53. He was probably writing it in '52. You know, um, and then the movie came out in '54, and he also wrote the teleplay for for the Hitchcock film as well. And then Hatcher's new adaptation was premiered last year in in '22. So we are like one of the few theaters that have done it since the premiere. Um, which is sort of exciting, and also we've been—he's been in touch with us. Actually, he reached out to us. Mr. Hatcher did. He did because he's seen a few of the productions that uh, since the, it premiered at the Old Globe, and since that production, he's seen it a couple other places, and that led him to make some tiny tweaks and a few cuts that we were able to implement into this production. So we're—this is really the first time this particular script is being produced.
2: So when Knott wrote it in. 52. He's putting it in contemporary times.
4: Correct. Yes.
2: You have directed plays that are more or less in contemporary times. of The time you directed. What's the challenge for you? And I want to hear this for the actor as well. Yeah. Creating something that we in the audience think is now versus something that was... What, 70
4: years ago? Okay. Yeah. Mm. Math. Math? <laughs> nice. Good <laughs> on your yes. Are
2: there different challenges?
4: Sure. I mean, you know, you rely heavily on your designers to do the research for the clothes, for the set, for exactly what kind of glassware we're, we're using. I tend to like that as well. That's a cool thing to lean into. The actors will do their own research. Um, and then we sort of collaborate on. Great. So this is the thing that really was the thing. What makes it better for the play? You mm-hmm. know, so there's historical accuracy and then there's dramatic need. And that's where I think the blending of how theater is made comes into life. Right. So um, great designers on this piece. Like the, the costumes look amazing and they also look exactly like who these people are. Um, so I that's a that's a great Challenge and a great love of mine. I was making it as sparkly and as fresh as it was in 1952, 53, 54. The other thing is, is this adaptation does see the story through a modern lens, so there, there's a contemporary spin already on it, which I think does make it more um, accessible and exciting to a modern audience.
2: But you know what? The things that are motivating people here are the same, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Passion. The feeling of betrayal blackmail yeah
9: yeah and I think like that Jeffrey Hatcher has done a great job of kind of modernizing the language just a little bit you know making it more accessible um, but still having that sort of pulpy exciting spin on it that the original script has
2: um, your character has some complicated relationships
6: <laughs> <laughs>
9: oh, yeah. yeah yeah
2: what is that like to work with fellow colleagues and
9: I mean the, the cast is tremendous uh, we' We really do like each other um, and get along great. And so having those open conversations, you know, on stage, backstage, over a drink, over tea, whatever, um, it, you know, it's 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 been a breeze, like having these open with Melissa as well, like while we're working on on the 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 scenes on their feet and getting to really try stuff, you know, that's something that I've really enjoyed about working on this production is that, you know, Melissa's style is to get us up on our feet quickly. uh, So it gives us uh, the actors an opportunity to just try stuff and see what works and see if it, you know, if we fall on our face or, or if it, if it flies. So it's been really fun.
2: Having not seen this stage adaptation, I imagine there is a range of energy required Mm -hmm. of you because I'm not giving anything away. There is a plot I'll at least say this. There is a plot for a murder to happen. What? <laughs> <laughs> and that plot comes out, at least in the film version, in a very serene sort of mm-hmm. manipulative way. Mm-hmm. But I imagine at some point, over the course of the two hours and ten minutes, yeah. the energy rises up. What? How do you, as an actor moderate that?
9: You know, it's all like, I I really love working with visuals and I think a lot about like a boiling pot, uh, like keeping the lid on that pot as long as you can. Um, And that's, and that's a lot of this play is like keeping the lid on until there's those moments of pop, those moments of like betraying your own Mm -hmm. need almost in the moment by by letting stuff slip, letting it out of the bag. Um, And, and, you know, it's, it's really been a lot of fun and really exciting for, I think that, I think that the the audiences are going to get a, a kick and a, like just lean in, lean forward and a play that you know I don't I don't know if I've in my time in in Northwest Arkansas if Theater Squared has done a play like this mm. uh where it's really like a word melissa that you've a phrase that you've used is like the lean in. I don't know if they've done a play like that mm. where it's, you know, just hanging on it and with this big tension, you know.
2: You mentioned the designers and the sets are always great at T2. Is on the set there a phone that dials?
4: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
9: It rings, too. <laughs> <laughs> it better, right? <laughs>
2: uh, finally, what is it like, and I know you, as we're speaking, you haven't had a performance in front of an audience. What is the come down? What is the recovery? What's that like after an intense production like this?
9: I mean, it, it, it's... Uh you have to go to some dark places, right? You have to go to, uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally and figuratively. Um, and physically. And physically, yes. <laughs> it takes yeah. a toll. So it's, I've been, you know, it's a, a cup of tea in bed. Just, I, I FaceTime my wife. I talk about how the show went. Uh, maybe uh, maybe take a bath, you know. It's just like giving myself that cool down period is really important. Because you don't want to take any of that into your day-to-day life. Uh, so figuring, and it's night to night. changes, so figure out what works best
2: is there a cool down for the director
4: you know it's interesting i was thinking maybe a week ago why am i uh my dreams and i'm kind (laughs) of and you know it's it's i'm watching it daily and i'm watching every inch of it daily and you you know your brain is on it so you don't realize that it's probably working on you psychologically um and so just to give yourself that oh yeah (laughs) let's um let's watch a comedy let's not watch anything let's take a bath, let's, you know, reflect, let's journal, you know, just to mm. get away, try to get away from it. But it's it's constantly sort of working on you until opening night. I mean, the director doesn't really stop working, you know, but then I'm gone, right? And mm. it's theirs to shepherd right. um, as they can, you know, and they will do brilliantly because it's a, it is, it's a, an incredible cast. We got all of our first choices. <laughs> it's beautifully cast, if I do say so myself. <laughs> um, but no, but the types, they're all such different types and archetypes and they, they, one of the main things that Bob and I talked Bob and Amy and I talked about um, Bob artistic, Ford and Amy Herzberg yeah. the artistic directors, when I was in my interview for this job was, yes, and they're all human beings, right? So the, the, you know, the tempo and the pressure and the genre, but it, it, it's people in actual situations. And that's what I think that this cast brings to the play, is a true heartbeat.
2: Melissa Anderson is the director for the Theater Square production of Dial M for Murder. Kieran Cronin is a cast member. Dial M for Murder on stage through September 10th. Our conversation took place at the Carver Center for Public Radio yesterday.
0: Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, lessons from an immigrant on owning a business in northwest Arkansas.
9: Lo que haces, hazlo con amor. Porque tener un negocio es un poco pesado, ¿no?
0: Whatever you do, do it with love. Because having a business is tough, right? Making international food for an American clientele, Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez-Smith takes us to a food truck park in Centerton tomorrow at noon at 7 p.m. On KUAF Public Radio. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, a conversation with Meg Medina, the first Latina national
6: ambassador for young people's literature. She's going to talk about connecting kids with their own stories. It's vitally important to the kid to be able to see themselves in the pages. That's what we want. That's next time on Latino USA.
0: Latino USA, Sunday afternoon at 3 on 91.3 KUAF. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bella Vesta, and LaRue. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth. Additional reporting was provided by Anna Pope. Additional production assistance came from Jack Travis, and our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Uh temperature's gonna ratchet back up, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we are out of foddum. <laughs> We are, but... The Fottom has dropped out. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: We, I'll be back tomorrow. Matthew will not. <laughs>
0: not for that reason.
2: That's right. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow. KUAF is supported by Format Festival,
5: merging music, art, and technology September 22nd through the 24th in Bentonville. This three-day festival features live performances from LCD Sound System, Modest Mouse, Tash, Sultana, and more, plus art experiences and installations. For tickets and information, format-festival.com. KUAF is supported by Sunrise Guitars. Sunrise Guitars is liquidating inventory including guitars, amps, and other items store-wide. Sunrise Guitars is located at 2781 North College Avenue in Fayetteville or at sunriseguitars.com.